Good morning, everyone. So we are in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Dad got down through um, about verse 12 last time. And uh, so, as you'll recall, uh, the writer of Hebrews has been uh, uh, talking about faith. And uh, that famous verse starts off the chapter. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the transition verse, for by it the people of old received their commendation. So he's going to start and talk about the people of old, the people that have come forward, and we've already seen uh, some of those. And uh, we left off with um, the story of uh, Abraham and uh, his you know, the, 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 the promises that God made to him, and uh, specifically with respect that uh, through him um, there would be a great nation and God would um, uh, be their God and he would be their people and, and so forth. And verse 13 starts off with a bit of a, a break in, in that little uh, walk down memory lane because uh, he's he's going to sharpen our ears a little bit. He's going to he's going to make some points, and the whole idea is that uh, this writer is all about making a point. He's not just talking to be talking. He's wanting to encourage his listeners um, to action, and so it's worth knowing where we're heading. Another uh, famous verse starts chapter twelve. And this is where we're heading, and it's worth looking at that, I think, just to read it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The therefore that he's talking about is... Uh, all of these folks that we're still, you know, uh, remembering, uh, the whole focus is their life of faith. And these stories would have been very um, well known to this group that was steeped in Jewish tradition and Jewish teaching. Uh, most of the, the history would have been transmitted orally. You know, it wasn't like there were... Um, you know, DVDs in the corner, and or even um, uh, books. You know, the, this was oral tradition passed down. So these stories would have been talked about uh, the whole time. And you remember one of the commands that they were given um, way back um, when they got the law was teach these things to your children, uh, teach them, and 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 talk about them. So these stories would have been extremely uh, fresh and. Uh, but he says, you know, there's a there's a point here, and and that's that's where he's heading. So um, in verse thirteen, uh, we get this little interlude, and I've kind of, if we wanted to make maybe make this a a modern day, uh, I think it's like um, someone has kind of reached and grabbed. The family photo album and started flipping you know and this time of year we're you know people get together you know many of you probably like we do with our family you know you gather around and 
and uh, get a family picture. Um, obviously, the, it seems like the older you get, the more precious those pictures get. And that's, that's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's been opening um, the family album and, and mentioning these people and, and talking about them. And I just kind of picture him just kind of putting the, the album down for a minute. He's going to talk about it a little bit. He's going to pick it back up. We'll see. But he's going to talk about it. It said, verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. All of these died in faith. Ultimately, that's that's real. It's really where we all want to get, right? Uh, we want to die in faith, uh, having you know, you know, finished the fight. You know, all the things that we hear in Scripture. All of these died in faith. Um, one of the commentators, I think this one was uh, John MacArthur, he said there, there are only two ways to live. One way, by far the most common, is to live by sight, to base everything on what you can see. The other way, far less common, is to live by faith, to base your life primarily and ultimately on what you cannot see. The Christian way, of course, is the faith way. We've never seen God or Jesus Christ or heaven or hell or the Holy Spirit. We've never seen any of the people who wrote the Bible, etc. But we live in the conviction of all these things by faith. We bank our earthly lives and our eternal destiny on things which we have never seen. And that is the way the people of God have always lived. These all died in faith. Verse 13. <clears throat> Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Until these people got back to the promised land, until they, um, uh, under Joshua's leadership, leadership, which of course we went through uh, close to four years ago now, as they battle after battle, conquering cities, it wasn't until they started to take over some of those cities that they actually started building. The entire time from when Abram and Sarah left, you know, Haran, is that where they lived? Or Ur, or wherever they were. From then all the time that they were, you know, in Abraham's and Isaac's day, through Joseph into Egypt, out of Egypt, the entire time, they were intense. They were nomads. This, this strangers and exiles, that's the way they felt everywhere they went for hundreds and hundreds of years. All the time they were in Egypt, they knew they weren't Egyptians. They had been in Egypt, what, 
150 years longer than we've been in America. But they knew they weren't Egyptians. They were strangers and exiles. They were nomads. And so the writer is reminding them of that and connecting it with the concept that in spite of that, they still had faith. It says they greeted them from afar. Somehow the message of God had so permeated these people that even though they had, I mean, they were, picture this. You were born in a tent. You grew up. You left your tent, said goodbye to mom and daddy. You got your own tent, but it was still a tent, right? And that had gone on for generation after generation after generation after generation. You would think that the promise would be a little weak as it got down to it. But God's faithfulness and so forth sustained all that. They were strangers. They were exiles here on earth, and the writer is trying to connect them to that to say there's more, you know. And if you think about it, remember this group, they weren't in Jerusalem, right? They were Jews, most of them. But they weren't in Jerusalem. So they themselves, the audience that was hearing this for the first time, they you think they felt like strangers and exiles? Yes. All of them, I mean, if we picked up this entire class and parked it, I don't know, somewhere inhospitable to us, Pakistan, Yemen. You think you'd feel a little bit like strangers and exiles? Absolutely. All right, you get the idea. Verse 14. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. For a moment, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they thought about it, right? They thought about maybe going back. They were hungry. They were grumpy. You know, if you've been on a long trip, you get a little grumpy. But they hung in there. They knew they were heading somewhere else. Um, and I think for all of us, there's that tension. You know, we clearly are invested here on in this earth. Uh, this is where God has us for this moment in time. Uh, and in some ways, uh, you remember when we were uh, talking about the exile, uh, there was that period where God told them, you know, yeah, you're going to exile, but, you know, make families, make babies, build your house. You know, you're going to be here for a while. But even then, they knew it wasn't their permanent home, right? They weren't in the promised land anymore. They were in exile. So that tension between establishing yourself and investing yourself where you are, but 
just knowing in the back of your head that there's more, uh, I think that's that tension that, that the writer's looking for, and, and I'm sure we've all felt to a certain degree. Here's an interesting verse. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All right. We're going to uh, open up the um, open up the album again. I did want to call um, attention to one part of one verse, verse fourteen. I overlooked. Uh, it says, "For people who spake thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." For people who spake thus, that that's an interesting phrase to me. Um, I think basically it's saying their lives and how they how they lived them and the decisions they made they were the testimony of what they were really looking for um, and not too far of a stretch to say you know our lives also are a testimony of where our faith is and um, you know uh, faith uh, wouldn't be faith, really, if it was all that easy, right? All right, here we go. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 17. By faith. Oh, by the way, you might as well go ahead and get your finger over in Genesis. Because we're going to uh, do kind of like Dad did last time and just uh, do a little flashback here. I'm uh, not going to read entire chapters because these are are long stories that we're very familiar with, but it's good to kind of just to glance and and to see the connectedness, you know. Um, all this stuff in the middle of your Bible, you know, it all gets connected. So from the front to the back. Um, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Um, we know the story, right? Um, God didn't say to Abraham, you're going to have lots of sons. He said, you're going to have a son. And then there was that day when Jesus called him up on the mountain and there was going to be a sacrifice. And that story, that account is told in... Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so Abraham rose up early in the morning. Do you know why? He couldn't sleep. That's my paraphrase. I mean, really. I mean, all of this, you know, remember the promise came when he was, what, 75, and it didn't happen until he was 100? Mm -hmm. 25 years, and now for this? I have no idea what was going on in his heart, in his head, but 
it must have been just uh, I I can't even imagine. He rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young with him, men with him and his son Isaac. Can you imagine every step of the way? I'm going to get a donkey. I'm going to, it's just amazing, amazing. And of course, somewhere in Abraham's faith, he had come to the decision that's, okay, God, uh, you did all this. I guess you'll figure it out. Um, amazing. Verse 19, the writer tells us maybe what Abraham was thinking. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. That, think about it, that that was his out. <laughs> that, was, that was what got him through with this. He didn't, he pictured he was going to do it. He said, well, you know, God can raise him from the dead. This from someone where resurrection of the dead, we can, we know God's power. He's done it before. We've seen it at least twice. I venture to say Abraham had never seen it, but that was the only thing he could figure out. Crazy. He considered God was even able to raise him from the dead. Which, the pastor says, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He did raise him from the dead. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. So, Jacob and Isaac, Jacob and Esau. Um, this is in uh, Genesis 27. You know this story too. Um, I wonder how many pastors have worked through this passage. It's real hard to figure out how Isaac winds up you know, on the good side of this story a few thousand years later. Um, Isaac, Isaac wasn't like, you know, when you're looking through the family book, you know, there's always that one that's, you know, <laughs> a little side branch of the family tree, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, there's Uncle Joe. Um, God bless him. Um, I think, you know, if it hadn't been that the whole family truth came through Isaac, they would have said that about him. You know, it's just, you know, it, it didn't go well. You, you know the story. He's, he's, he's selfish. He, you know, clearly plays favorites. Uh, there's this running tension between uh, he and Rebecca. They both have their favorites. Um, uh, you know, for every bit of... of, of um, Isaac's favoritism and over Esau and uh, his selfishness and you know he brings me the best food he kills the game you know Rebecca was matched with you know her connivingness and her favoritism over Jacob and you know the whole thing where Jacob uh, pretends to be Esau gets the blessing um, uh, you know finally 
you know, Esau, I mean, uh, Isaac realizes um, what he's done and, you know, he just kind of sticks with it and, uh, you know, I guess maybe it came to his mind where Rebecca had received that prophecy that the younger would be greater than the the uh, older and so forth. Um, but somehow it says, verse 20, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. That's true. Uh, maybe, you know, by accident, but that's true. Here's an interesting story, verse 21. Uh, uh, it's worth reading uh, Genesis 48. So this is the latter chapter of Genesis. We're going to look at this more detail as we, in our lead up to um, our study of Exodus. But um, Joseph, uh, who was, you know, the right hand of Pharaoh at that time, uh, he had sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, in somewhat of a reflection of the Jacob and Esau story, um, he he brings, um, and I don't know, I don't know how you know Jacob may have had some sort of flashback because uh, Jacob brings in his sons. Um, I think I get these confused. Manasseh was the was the older one, I think. Anyway, he, he brings the sons and he's got them lined up so that he can give the youngest to Jacob's left hand and the oldest to Jacob's right hand um, so that when it comes to Jacob to bless them, he can take the right hand and put it on the older son's head and the left hand on the younger son's head and, and bless them. But Jacob doesn't do that. He crosses his hands and blesses the younger one, you know, you can't, surely he must have thought about how all that happened with him. Anyway, so that was the kind of the prophecy and the blessing uh, of, of Joseph's sons, and, and we'll, we'll look at that some more. And then uh, in Genesis 50, in some of Joseph's last words, he, he makes the point that um, we're leaving here. We're going to come out of this place. Um, this still isn't our home. Um, we're going to another place. And from, from then until Moses, hundreds of years, right? But, but Joseph prophesied, we're moving on. Um, and that's what verse 22 saying, By faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus to the Israelites, and gave directions concerning his bones. In other words, take me home. This is not my home. And so um, he got embalmed, and uh, when the time came, they went and got Joseph's bones and, um, and took him. All right, verse 23. Surely we can do all of Moses in seven minutes, right? Um. Again, uh, the things that we're fixing to talk about, we're going to talk in detail when we go through Exodus. Again, these are, are famous accounts that, w that we are also familiar with. But, but here, hundreds of years later, Hebrews is, the writer of Hebrews is making um, points with this same account, just like thousands and hundreds of thousands likely of pastors since then. 
By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because at the child they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Um, Lord, beautiful. Um, it may have referred to his appearance, but um, a lot of commentators said they they just kind of felt that they were impressed that this was um, this was a special child. Um, something uh, told them that, and um, certainly, I'm sure, impressed by the spirit of God uh, overcame their fear of the king's edict that the, that the boys would be killed. Um, so they defied that order, and we know the story of that. Uh, by faith, Moses, um, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, well, you can continue choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather to, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So uh, he had godly parents, right? They had faith in God. Um, we know the story how Moses' mother was actually able to be his mother because uh, Pharaoh's daughter paid her to be the nurse uh, for this child. Um, you couldn't just go to the store and buy formula back then. And so she was able to instill in Moses um, the, the teachings of Jehovah. And um, when he grew up, he had a choice. Uh, do, I, do I stick with a faith that has been instilled in me at my, my mother's knee? Uh, or do I take advantage of all of the privilege that is available to me? Um, Pharaoh's house, and if you know even a little bit about Egypt history, Pharaoh was kind of a big deal back then. Um, uh, I can't imagine a modern-day equivalent, but uh, maybe if you were in the royal family of England or Saudi Arabia or whatever, and just decided that no, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna, I don't think I'm gonna take part in that. Um, I'll just walk away. Uh, I'm not sure many people would do that, uh, regardless of your upbringing. Uh, but that's what Moses did. And it wasn't a cushy life he was choosing. Choosing, rather, to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Interesting verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Somehow... When, the, when we see the word Christ, um, think Messiah, uh, think Redeemer, think King. Um, somehow, as Moses was uh, again taught and, and, and trained, uh, and then perhaps in his own uh, times with, with God, uh, got this impression that there is more out there, that God is a redeeming God, and... Uh, there is um, something, someone better uh, for me, and it's going to be worth it. I'm looking ahead. It's going to be worth it in the long run. And um, I think that's another kind of question we always ask ourselves um, in our faith. We kind of have to tell ourselves that we're doing it because it's going to be worth it in the long run you know this pain that I'm feeling now because it is hard 
um, well, it's it's going to be worth it, and and that's the 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 more distant you are, and the more vague your awareness is of what that future is, the harder it would be to decide whether it's going to be worth it or not. Um, especially when you get to the end of your life and you look back and you're not quite sure <laughs> if it was worth it. But he did. Uh, let's see, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And of course we know the whole uh, story of the, the Passover lamb and the death angel and so forth. And again, we'll look at that in, in great detail. By faith he left Egypt. Um, uh, we might better quit. Uh, a couple comments. And we'll pick up some of this uh, next week. Uh, one commentator listed several pitfalls as we go through a chapter like this. And one I thought was particularly um, helpful. And pitfall number one, he says, is the, well, I'm no hero point of view. So we read this list and we say, well, well, yeah, these people had faith, but like they made it in the Bible. You know, their they got their name in the Bible. I'm not like that. I'm no hero. You know, it's almost like, yeah, but, yeah, I get it, but I, I'm not like that. And I think one of the, one of the things to, to note is how many different people show up in this list. It's going to get even more variety when we pick up next week. Uh, different personalities, different types. You have explorers, you have um, connivers, you have um, uh, you know, all sorts of people and in fact at the time a lot of them weren't heroes either. When you know, when um, Abraham got scared and said, no, Sarah, you know, this is my sister, this is not my wife. Here, you know, she, yeah, she's, she, yeah, no, we're not married. This is just my sister. I mean, that probably wasn't one of his proudest moments, right? I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that conversation that night, that probably was not, well, he probably wasn't at home that night. Uh, but um, under the stars. But you see the point. So just as we read these, and, and yes, we pull these highlights out, but but they weren't perfect. They were not perfect, and, and we don't have to be perfect either. And the writer goes on to say, he said, if this is our perspective, we miss the whole point. And the point is the life of faith with all of its stumbles and bumbles and all that, that's the norm for people of God. He said this is the mere Christianity, as C.S. Lewis put it. The author's whole program is to call struggling, sometimes bumbling Christians to live boldly by faith. 
He calls us with all our habits and hang-ups and warts and worries to take action. We are called to step out of step with the world, to hop up on the stage of history, to take our place in God's roll call of the faithful. Of course we are inadequate, but so have been all the others who have evidenced the grace of God. It would not be grace otherwise. And I love that. You know, that's what we're called to do with our stumbling, with our bumbling, to just, again, by grace, which, you know, this concept of grace that we have is so much more than what they have. Um, where we can say, God, I don't get it, but, you know, our, our faith is informed by God's grace. It's strengthened by God's grace, and I think that's, that's key. One other uh, thing uh, to call into to think about, and that is, it was easy for these people to kind of see themselves in this lineage because they were um, they were Jews, right? These were this literally was their family tree. It's worth rereading Romans eleven. This is the family tree that all of us who are Christians have been grafted into. We are also now of that family tree. And uh, if there is some future roll call of faith, as sometimes this has been called, um, we're going to be there too. And uh, so we are also connected uh, with them. And then one final point, um, a quote from, uh, you guys are well aware of uh, Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says, the culture war is already underway. Ironically, every year the church in the United States draws closer and closer to the situation faced by the New Testament church, an embattled minority living in a pluralistic pagan society. Christians in places like Sri Lanka, Tibet, Sudan, and Saudi Arabia have faced open hostility from their governments for years, but in the United States, with a history so congenial to faith, we don't like it. Um, I didn't look this up, but that book, What's So Amazing About Grace, I think is at least 20 years old. And if that was true 20 years ago, how much more is that true now? So, yes. Um, I feel very blessed still to be in the United States. I think it's still uh, got so many advantages, but uh, Christians um, are probably, if we're not in the minority now, we will be very soon. And um, so that's our reminder that we're just passing through also. All right, let's pause there. And like I said, we'll pick up some more next time. Any, um, any thoughts or observations that you had? Yes, Tim. When I was uh, just got saved and all, I struggled with the faith. I mean, I, I made everybody here in the You know, you'd read the Bible, read the Bible, and that would help you with your faith. And I, in my Bible, in this chapter, I mean, this whole book right here, I mean, I'm marked stuff and marked stuff. And if any of us know young British Christians, I, I feel like we need to mentor them because those are some older men that mentored me. And it helped me 
to grow stronger and stronger. And, you know, we need to show them and teach them to read the Bible. That's where you get your faith from, to read the Bible and being around Christians and stuff. Very good. The other thing is, too, you know, as we talk with our families, um, likely all of us have had some of those decision points in our lives where we had to step on faith, step out on faith as uh, at, at one point or another. And so we need to be telling those stories, too, so that our kids know um, the, the more near heritage of our faith and that it is very real. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you that it is by faith that we can come to you. It's always been the way that your people come to you and that you have um, chosen to be our God and that you are not ashamed of us in spite of our bumbling and bungling. Uh, We thank you for the heritage that we have that we can share with these people and pray that you continue to keep your hand on us as you... um, strengthen our faith and uh, accomplish things uh, through us uh, by the power of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.